Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today, you know, we return back here to Acts chapter 2, verse 15, he says, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But, he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, Peter doesn't say this is some new thing that nobody ever knew about. Peter doesn't say this is a mystery that was kept secret since the world began. Peter essentially says you should know what's going on here because the prophet Joel already told you about it hundreds of years ago. Right? This is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is not the initiation of mystery. He quotes a little bit from the prophet Joel. He says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter says what begins to happen there on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel spoke about. And you see what it it says in the first part of of what Peter quotes there, it shall come to pass in the last days. The the fact that these things begin to happen on the day of Pentecost show that the last days were beginning. Not that, that some new age of grace was beginning, but that the last days were beginning. In fact, let's go back and look at Joel chapter 2 and see the whole context from which the Apostle Peter is there quoting. And let's just start in verse 1 of Joel 2, and eventually we'll get down to the the verses that Peter quotes. You see, Joel 2 verse 1 says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Alright, so the events of Joel 2 are something that are going to come prophetically in close proximity to the day of the Lord. In fact, the the verses that Peter quoted mentioned the day of the Lord uh, several times. And so Joel chapter 2 verse 12 says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Now, 
what it says there, in light of, of these events that are going to come on Israel, there's that call to Israel to repent, to avoid these things. And, and the idea is, if they repent, they could even, even avoid these things. Go to Jeremiah chapter 18. He sends, he sends Jeremiah down, just to kind of summarize some of the first few verses, he sends Jeremiah down to where a potter is working at this potter's house. And he watches as that potter is working on this vessel, and something happens, and the vessel doesn't turn out right. And so the potter takes that lump of clay, and he starts over and, and forms it again. Right? And verse 6 then, it says, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. What did, what did uh, Joel say? That the Lord repenteth of the evil. Verse 9 says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. You see? So if God says something evil concerning a nation, if God says he's going to destroy a nation, and they turn from their evil ways and they repent, then he won't destroy them. Remember what happened with Nineveh? Jonah comes there, he preaches to them, and they repent from the king down to the lowliest peasant. Jonah, when Jonah preached to them, Jonah didn't even tell them to repent. Jonah just told them, the Lord's going to destroy you. They repented, and the Lord didn't destroy them, right? So that wasn't a, a failure on God's part to fulfill what Jonah had prophesied. That was God demonstrating what he talks about in these passages. And you see, these things that we're reading over there in Joel are about this this evil that the Lord is going to bring on the nation of Israel, but there's the opportunity for them to repent. And so Joel says, who, who knows whether instead of that cursing, God will bless you instead if you repent. You see? Uh, and, and so always keep that principle in mind when you're coming to these prophetic things. Um, go, go back to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 again. And verse 15, so verse 15 says again, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound this alarm. Let, let the people know what's coming. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a feast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Now, what was the day of Pentecost? Wasn't the day of Pentecost a solemn assembly? Wasn't it a gathering together of the congregation of the people? You see? And what Peter is going to do is he's going to warn that nation about the wrath that they are under because of their crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to warn them that they need to repent. Right? 
So you can see how Peter would would link a passage like this. Of course, Peter's not doing this just in his own thinking. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. But you can see how you can link a passage like this to what's going on there on the day of Pentecost. You see in verse 18, it says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. That's when they repent and turn back to him. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto, the, unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Back in the first chapter of Joel, Joel describes how that nation was without corn. They were without wine. They were a reproach to the heathen. And here the Lord says he's going to undo all of that. He says, I will remove far off from you the northern army. That's that... that army described earlier in chapter 2, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea, his hinder part, toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And again, it describes the, the, uh, just the, the bounty that the Lord is going to bring to them. By the way, that latter rain there is not a, a, a spiritual thing. It's just talking about rain that's going to bring fruitfulness to the land. It's a, it's a literal passage about the, you know, the, the restoration of that land. And it's really talking about the kingdom that the Lord is going to establish for Israel. You see, all these things that are described here, this army that's going to come upon them, uh, the Lord then, you know, raising his army, uh, the repentance of the people of Israel and, and the, the reward of the land that's described, there are all things that are going to take place prophetically. Now, they're still yet future to where we are today. Now, if you come down to verse 28, verse 28 is where Peter begins to quote, right? And it says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Now wait a second. Why does it say, it describes these events that are going to happen, it describes this army that's going to come, it describes the repentance of Israel, describes the the restoration of the land, and then Joel says, after all of that, then I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. As Peter's standing there on the day of Pentecost, however, those events haven't happened, have they? That army hasn't come. The repentance of Israel hasn't come. The, the restoration of the land hasn't come. How can Peter say what's taking place on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of that when Joel says that's going to come after all those other things? Uh, the answer is that this is something you, you commonly see with the application of, of Bible prophecy in the New Testament. Uh, Think about some of the passages that are applied to the Lord Jesus Christ, for instance. Now, many of the passages, um, and especially the Gospel of Matthew, points out a lot of the prophetic passages that are fulfilled in Christ. Often, if you go and look up those passages, you'll find that in context, 
Those are passages that are talking about his second coming. And yet, Matthew will apply them to his first coming. Right? Now, there's a, there's a, there's a well-known principle when it comes to Bible prophecy, and it's this principle of dual fulfillment. Often with prophetic Bible passages, you will have a partial fulfillment, and then later the complete fulfillment of it. And, and there are often times where God will intentionally do some things. He'll give sort of a, a taste of prophetic things that will come later. So, for instance, the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation and the healing ministry that he performs. Uh, when the Gospels quote various Bible passages, you know, Old Testament passages that were prophetic about the healing that God would bring to Israel... Uh, almost without exception, those passages are second coming passages that are talking about the healing that God will bring when the kingdom is established. But it applies them in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Now, Christ comes and does those things as a testimony that he's going to be, that he is the king, right, that's going to establish that kingdom. That's part of the reason for it. You have that partial fulfillment in the earthly ministry of Christ, where the final fulfillment will come later in, in his second coming. And it's the same kind of thing here. Now, Peter can quote this. What the Lord begins to do there on the day of Pentecost is he's taking some of those things that he's going to do later at the second coming, and he's doing them early. And it says a testimony, as a testimony here to Israel. But you see how it, how it fits. It, it, in essence, it's giving Israel the opportunity to repent before they go through that period of tribulation. Now, what Joel's describing here is them going through that period. Um, you know, they're going through that period, then they repent, then they, uh, the land is restored, and then the Spirit is poured out. But by God doing this there on the day of Pentecost, before these other events took place, it gives them opportunity beforehand. Now, ultimately, God knew that as a nation, they were not going to repent on the day of Pentecost. Now, we'll see there are thousands that do, but as a nation, they do not. And so Joel, the way Joel describes it is how it actually is going to, to play out, right? But God does some of those things early. He does some of those things. He pours out his spirit there on the day of Pentecost in advance of those prophetic events to give them the opportunity to repent beforehand without having to go through all of that. Uh, you see, it describes how he's going to pour out of his spirit. It also describes, and Peter quotes these verses as well, verse 30 says, I will show wonders in the heavens above, or rather wonders in the heaven and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now, Peter quotes all of that, saying all of that was taking place on that day. But on that day, you did not see the sun turned into darkness. You didn't see the moon turned into blood. In fact, you didn't see that in the days following that. And in fact, you didn't see it. You haven't seen it yet in history. Uh, it describes as well... Um, Earlier in the passage, it described the, the stars as well being affected. Now, you do see that described, uh, for instance, in Revelation and in other Old Testament passages as things that are going to precede the day of the Lord. Uh, 
Peter here talks about the pouring out of the Spirit. He talks about the wonders being shown. He, he points out the opportunity for deliverance in verse 32 when he says it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, the pouring out of the Spirit begins to take place on that day. And yet, as we go through the book of Acts, and if you were to study history, you would see the other events don't take place. And that's because uh, while the things that began to take place there on the day of Pentecost continued for some time, God has put a delay in the progression of those events. And it's this dispensation of grace in which we live. That's why the pouring out of the Spirit begins to take place, but the darkening of the sun and the moon and the stars does not, because those things are yet future to today. And so God extends, he, he puts in this dispensation of grace where he does some things that the prophet Joel didn't know about. He does some things that Peter didn't know about on the day of, of Pentecost. And you can, you can just sort of view it uh, as a, a parenthesis in, in Joel chapter 2 between verse 29 and between verse 30, uh, that's where we are. That's where we are in the, in the progression of events. Those, the, the Spirit was poured out there on the day of Pentecost, but the other wonders have not come to pass. Okay? And notice as well that when it talks about in verse 32 that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered or shall be saved. Some people will point to that, again, and they'll point to Peter's quote of that on the day of Pentecost, and they'll say, you see, that's the message for this church age. And, and they'll say that day of Pentecost was the beginning of the church, and that's the message for the, this church age, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. But notice what goes along with that deliverance. Notice where that deliverance comes from in, in Joel's prophecy. It says, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. Now, is our deliverance as members of the body of Christ, is it in Mount Zion? Is it in Jerusalem? Certainly not. But for those Jews there on the day of Pentecost, that's where their deliverance was. Right? In that city that God had established where He would place His name, that city uh, from which eventually He would rule over all of Israel and even all of the world, that's where their deliverance is. And so, so you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look more at these events here of the day of Pentecost, but this is not the, the body of Christ beginning in Acts chapter 2. Let's go back to Acts 2. And so Peter quotes those words from Joel, and you see the, the context there. Peter, Peter warns them that it's the last days. Joel said these things were going to happen in the last days, and Peter says this, this is it. Right Now, was, was Peter wrong? Uh, was Peter mistaken? Maybe he just misspoke and, and had it too early? Uh, no, uh, again, certainly not. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit as he says this. In fact, really, these aren't Peter's words, but this is the Spirit that's in him that's speaking. Right? And Peter identifies it as the last days. What happens on the day of Pentecost is it's a beginning, but it's a beginning of the last days for Israel. Right? Those last days, God interrupts and brings in the dispensation of grace. And, and here we've been for nearly 2,000 years in the dispensation of grace. But those last days will conclude. 
uh, there will be future events that will fulfill those things that Joel talks about and the other prophets talk about. And, and so Peter quotes all of that. And again, he, you know, it, it really, when you see the overall context there of the book of Joel, and especially Joel chapter 2, what's he doing? He's calling corrupt Israel to repentance. He's calling them to turn to the Lord and to avoid those things that God's going to bring on the earth. And, and of course, when Peter gets to the end of his message, um, if you're familiar with the passage, you know that the men there are pricked to the heart and they say, what shall we do? And Peter says, what? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins uh, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right? And so this is a call to repentance of national repentance, certainly individual repentance, but also national repentance for the nation of Israel. And, and the reason that they had to repent uh, above everything else that was wrong with Israel, Peter says in verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Now, we'll look at, we'll look at uh, Peter's words there in more detail, but notice Peter says that Jesus, he, he, he acknowledges their wicked hands and the part their wicked hands played in the process, but he says that ultimately, Jesus of Nazareth was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The crucifixion of Christ was not an accident in the plan of God, as if, as if you know, man had somehow thwarted God's plan, but rather the crucifixion was God's plan all along. It, it was his determinate counsel and foreknowledge that delivered Christ. And Peter doesn't have a full picture, even here on the day of Pentecost, even as he's filled with the Holy Spirit as he's preaching to them, of just what that accomplished. But later on in the scripture, it's revealed the fullness of what was accomplished and why that death was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And it was because Jesus Christ in his death paid the price for all of our sins, not just Israel's sins, but Gentile sins as well, to offer that free gift of eternal life, not as something we earn through our works, but as something we receive by faith. I guess you would say, if you were writing a, a traditional story, you know, you have, you have a, when you're writing a story, um, the story, ha, you know, kind of leads up to a climax. And, and any, any good story that you read is that way, right? It's leading to some, some big thing. Now, the crucifixion is that thing. But here, after the crucifixion, it's sort of wrapping things up and explaining, you know, Christ died... Again, not just as an accident. Yes, you were wicked in doing it, but it was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Not only did God know it was going to happen, God had decreed that it would happen. He had determined. Uh, in fact, the, the words there, uh, when it talks about his determinate counsel, the Greek word there is orizo, and it means to mark out a boundary. In fact, our word horizon comes from that. 
how the, the horizon you know, marks out the, the boundary of what you can see. God had marked out the boundary of the crucifixion of Christ beforehand. And, and uh, it says that, that it was his foreknowledge, um, which uh, there is actually the word, we get the word, we would say it prognosis, but prognosis, to know in advance, right? When somebody says, what's the prognosis? They're talking about what's going to happen, what, you know, uh, prognosis is foreknowledge. And God not only foreknew, but he had set out in, in advance these events uh, in fulfillment of his plan. And we especially, we, we have a great blessing in the fact that we have even greater revelation than what Peter had there on the day of Pentecost about what was accomplished there in the death of Christ because we have uh, those epistles of the Apostle Paul that, that address the mystery things. Peter's talking about what happened according to prophecy. And Peter here is actually uh, portraying, while he, while he says that that death is according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he's portraying that as bad news, as something for which Israel needs to repent. And we can recognize today that it's good news. The death of Christ is good news for us because it pays the price of all of our sin. And that resurrection uh, is good news for us because it gives us life and not just a you know not just a temporary life like we experience here but eternal life and if if you don't have that hope of eternal life this morning um, if you if you don't you know you don't understand or don't have a you know a clear understanding of what was accomplished there on the cross of Calvary Understand that what Christ did in dying there on the cross, he had no sin of his own to pay for, but he paid for our sin. And he being God in flesh could pay for all of our sin in that one act on the cross of Calvary. And so as you sit here today, your sins are already paid for. Your sins are already paid for by, by Christ. The question is whether you receive that free gift of eternal life that's available because of that. And if you've never received that free gift, you don't have to repeat a prayer. You don't have to, to you know, walk an aisle, come down here to the front. You don't have to do any of those things. No religious acts you have to do. It's simply a matter of faith. It's simply a matter of, of ceasing to trust in your own ability to save yourself or, or your religion to save you or any of those kinds of things and realize that the only work that can save you is the work that Jesus Christ performed on the cross of Calvary. And what a peace there is in knowing that. In knowing that, that uh, you know, and being able to, to recognize that we don't measure up. We don't measure up to the standard of God's word. We don't even measure up to our own imperfect standards. But someone who did measure up took our penalty in our place. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And what we deserve from God is death, both physical and spiritual, a, a second death in a lake of fire. But Jesus Christ experienced death for us so that the rest of that verse can say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And just like any gift, um, you know, a gift can be paid for and offered, but it doesn't become yours until you receive it. And Eternal life is a gift you have to receive. Make a conscious choice to trust what Christ accomplished there on the cross of Calvary. Don't assume that you're saved. Don't assume that because you go to church, 
you must be saved, or because you read the Bible, or because you pray to God. Those aren't the things the Bible says you do to be saved. The Bible says there's nothing you can do. You can just receive that free gift of eternal life. And that's something you can, you can do just as you sit there in your seat now. And if you have questions about that or, or you know, need more information about that, talk to me. Don't, don't let it go. You never know what's going to happen uh, when you leave here. Don't let it go another day. Uh, get that issue settled and, and make sure that you've received that gift of eternal life. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for that free gift. Uh, we thank you that... Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to your determinate counsel and foreknowledge, went there to the cross for us, paid the price for us, and we thank you for that free gift that you've made available in him. We, we pray that not only would we receive that gift, but that we would live it out fully in our lives, understand the things that your word teaches about how we ought to live in such a way that it reflects who you are, not out of some legalistic obligation, but out of gratitude for what you've accomplished for us. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.